Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, a production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Riggert, your host, and wherever you are in the world, and do you know the podcast, this podcast, the Become Who You Are podcast goes all over the world. Um, just a usual episode could have six, seven, eight countries, uh, but often many more uh, listening to it. Uh, we've been, uh, I believe, in 70 countries altogether uh, for, you know, if we add up all the different episodes and the different uh, topics, et cetera, et cetera. So, hey, thank you to everyone. Thank you to uh, everyone that's been listening for so many years now. It's really something. I'm really excited to do today's um, session or episode that I call Crossing the Bridge, Opening the Smaller Story of Your Life to the Transformational Power of Connection. It is in honor of the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ, which we celebrate this coming Sunday. J.R. Tolkien, who uh, wrote The Lord of the Rings, of course, was a good friend of C.S. Lewis, wrote this about the encounter with that event of the Eucharist that transforms our lives. He said, out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the blessed sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on earth. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing how many, how many lives have been changed by the Eucharist through the years. Somehow there's a disconnect today by so many people. Uh, I think there's, it's 30% of the people now in the United States go to any type of uh, uh, service, uh, mass or any uh, church service. On, on a regular basis. And, and I believe that the statistics show that about 30% go at least once a month. I don't know how many would go every week. It's a sad thing that's happening, and you're seeing the changes take place in the world. This is really a battle between our Lord and Satan, and we really don't really understand this. You know, when sin came into the world after the fall, we, there was an abyss that formed there between the human heart and God. We had fallen away. And there's no way to reconnect. You know, we can't lift up our hearts to divinity and grab it, can we? Uh, divinity uh, in, in the Trinity itself, Jesus Christ had to come down into earth and bridge that gap. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. The readings are really beautiful. The first reading for Sunday was from Moses to his people. And he said this, this is from Deuteronomy. Verse, starting at verses 8. Remember how for 40 years now the Lord your God has directed all your journeying in the desert so as to test you by affliction and find out whether or not it was your intention to keep his commandments. I think, see, I think this is really our, our pilgrimage here on earth, isn't it? We're just here for a little while in this created universe. And it's, and you know, I look outside my studio today. I almost wanted to open up all the windows, except uh, there's a little bit of construction going on once in a while. But the birds are out there singing. It's, a, it's about mid-70s here in the Chicagoland area, and the sun is out and a nice breeze. And you just see that so much of this destruction is just brought on by hum, human hearts that have been twisted and, and deformed. And so then again, Moses is telling his people, so as to test you by affliction and find out whether it was your intention to keep his commandments or not. He therefore let you be afflicted with hunger and then fed you with manna, a food unknown to you and your fathers, in order to show you that not by bread alone does one live, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He said, do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt 
Remember, they were they were slaves. Talk about slaves. This goes back, way back before the United States was formed. I mean, slavery was all throughout history. The the uh, the God's people themselves that He called out of slavery, He was calling them out of Egypt. And it says it right here in the Scripture, uh, out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. And it was God who guided you through the vast and terrible desert with its serpents and its scorpions, its parched and waterless ground, who brought forth water for you and from the flinty rock and fed you in the desert with manna, a food again unknown to your fathers. You know, God is there for those people, brings them out of slavery. But the biggest slavery, of course, is slavery to sin. That's the human heart, slavery to sin. Uh, In the first uh, letter of Paul to the Corinthians, he says this, Brothers and sisters, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because the loaf of bread is one. We, though many, are for one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. This is St. Paul, who didn't even meet the, uh, the other apostles before he went out on his own. Remember, he gets, gets knocked down, has a vision and an encounter with Christ, and then just like J.R. Tolkien, he turns around and he just knows. He sees this vision and everything just opens up to him all at once, and he comes in and becomes the, an incredible uh, apostle for, for God. And and. and, and, and he knows the Eucharist. He already knows this. He knows all about it. Before he even meets the other apostles, he's already preaching this, which is just a mind blower. Before I actually get to the gospel, which is the gospel according to John, I want to open up this bridge just a little bit, and then I'll get back into reading because it's so beautiful. So buckle up and get ready for today's episode. Crossing the bridge, opening up the smaller story of her life to the transformational power of connection. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and gave you thanks and praise. He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. When supper was ended, he took the cup and again he gave you thanks and praise, Father, gave the cup to his disciples and said this, take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. Do this in memory of me. That's Eucharistic prayer number three. Uh, I hope they're going to say that at at Mass this weekend. You know, a friend of mine was describing his recent attempt to get off the medication he was taking for anxiety because of the unwanted side effects he was having. But once off the meds, he became so anxious that he was driving everyone near him crazy. Crazy. His family convened a meeting, and in that meeting, he agreed to try a lower dose of that medication or find a substitute until a longer-term solution could be found, whatever that would be. When he told me about it, I said, I have a substitute for you. Go to confession and receive the Eucharist. Mark, not his real name, but I'll call him Mark for now, looked at me and said, you're serious, aren't you? Do you really think that would help? Yep, I said knowing that this cradle Catholic had stopped going to Mass about 30 years before. Most of us, I told him, are living like cut flowers, disconnected from the source of life and love. We spend our time anxious about how we're going to live, desperately trying to fill the infinite desires of our heart with finite things. And the evil that we see around us, we have a sense of foreboding with this. Many, many people are anxious today. 
Did you know I continued that Carl Jung, the famous father of psychoanalysis, wrote this. He said, among all my patients in the second half of their lives, that is to say over the age of 35, there has not been one patient of mine whose problem in the last resort was not that of finding a religious outlook on life. It is safe to say that every one of them fell ill because he had lost that which the living religions of every age had given to their followers, and not one of my patients, not one of them, has really been healed who did not regain his religious outlook. What's more, I told him, Dr. Carl Menninger, the dominant figure in American psychiatry for six decades, said that if he could convince patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. It seems, you know, that we should all have caught on to this cosmic story by now. Good versus evil, light versus darkness, love versus lust, and seek the better way that has been revealed to us. Yet somehow we miss that bigger story and we get caught up in this much smaller one of our own making. The result is always the same, an anxious heart. But in the midst of our brokenness, and we're all broken in one way or another, along comes some very good news. The path to healing, which leads to peace and love and happiness, can be found. I call it crossing the bridge, opening the smaller story of your life to the transformational power of connection. The bottom line is that we're all created for eternal life in God, but original sin separated us from the tree of life. It's as though we're left stranded on the bank of a deep, fast-moving river that we cannot cross, and we look to the other side and we thirst for the peace, the happiness, and the eternal life that's offered to us on the other side. But our broken humanity cannot move any further. We need a bridge over the abyss. St. Catherine of Siena, one of my uh, just favorite sisters, I'm just in love with this woman, and uh, she guides me, helps me in so many things. If you if you ever read her dialogue with God, it's incredible. And in that dialogue, she would go into an ecstasy, and she didn't even know she was saying some of these things, and a secretary of hers would write these things down. Anyway, she heard the father one time describe his son as that living bridge that we need, and this is the way she described it. And this is the father speaking to her. Wherefore, I have told you that I have made a bridge of my word of my only begotten son. And this is the truth. I wish that you, my children, should know that the road was broken by the sin and disobedience of Adam in such a way that no one could arrive at eternal life. This truth is that I have created man to my own image and likeness in order that he might have eternal life and might partake of me and taste my supreme and eternal sweetness and goodness. But after sin had closed heaven and bolted the doors of mercy, the soul of man produced thorns and prickly brambles, and my creature found in himself rebellion against himself. And the flesh immediately began to war against the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, within us. And losing the state of innocence became a foul animal, and all created things rebelled against man, whereas they would have been obedient to him had he remained in the state in which I had placed him. He, though, not remaining therein, transgressed my obedience and merited eternal death in body and soul. And as soon as he had sinned, a tempestuous flood arose, which ever buffets him with its waves, bringing him weariness and trouble from himself, the devil, and the world. Everyone was drowned in the flood, because no one with his own justice alone could, re- could arrive at eternal life. It was therefore necessary to join human nature with the height of my nature, the eternal deity, 
so that it might be sufficient to satisfy for the whole human race, so that human nature should sustain the punishment and that the divine nature united with the human should make acceptable the sacrifice of my only son offered to me to take death from you and to give you life. So the height of the divinity, humble to the earth and joined with your humanity, made the bridge and reformed the road. Why was this done? in order that man might come to his true happiness with the angels and observe that it's not enough in order that you should have life, that my son should have made for you this bridge unless you walk thereon. What is he saying there? He's saying these. He said again, and observe that it's not enough in order that you should have life, that my son should have made this bridge unless you walk thereon. In other words, redemption, which my son did, which Jesus came into the world to do. Think about what God the Father is saying here. The son took on our humanity. In a sense, all of our humanity is is united to, to Jesus' humanity. Then what does he do? He unites it to divinity in one union, and then he gives this all up to us. He takes on sin and death, overcomes sin and death. And what does he do? He takes on all of that. And then he pours that out to us in the mass. This is what the mass is. is this is the solemnity of the body and blood of Jesus Christ that we're going to be celebrating on, on, on Sunday. This is Jesus who, who in this gift of self pours himself out to us. And again, in other words, redemption, what Jesus did on the cross is collective. He did it for every single human being. But salvation, this is key, is individual. You have to say yes. I have to say yes. We all stand in a sense before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, along with Adam and Eve. And we must decide each generation and each person within each generation stands there. And we stand in a sense at that abyss. Along that bank of the river, we cannot go any further. Separated from divinity. Jesus comes, if you think about this, he comes and places that crucifix right in the midst, right in the bed of that river uh, with this vertical beam going deep into the human heart, all the way up into divinity, into heavens. And then the, the, the horizontal cross beam goes from side to side over that abyss, over that, that dark fast-moving river that we would never get across, that tempestuous flood that St. Catherine heard from the Father. So what would we do when we stand there? We all stand before that, huh? The knowledge of good and evil, we must decide. Will we stand on the edge of the abyss with the father of lies, with Satan? Or will we choose to follow Jesus Christ and pray as he prayed in Gethsemane, not as I will, but your will be done? That's our Blessed Mother, too. At the Annunciation, your will be done. And that's us, your will be done. That's what I do every morning. First thing, before you look at that phone, go down to your knees, before you look at your phone, and just open your heart and just say, but your will be done. Do that every day. It's going to make a difference in your life. And choose obedience unto death. Jesus is that bridge. You know, he's the hinge. He's that narrow gate that we have to walk through. And what is that? This is my body given for you. Confession and the Eucharist is the high point of this. This is what we're going to be celebrating on Sunday, the solemnity of the holy body and blood of Christ. See, for, for this reason, John Paul II taught, and all the way through, just he just takes us all the way through. This is this positive faith that came all the way from Jesus' teaching himself. And the Lord wished to remain with us in the Eucharist, that he would never leave us. 
What do we do with that mass we make present and enter into that one-time historical event, making his presence in meal and sacrifice, the promise of humanity renewed by his love? Significantly, in their account of the Last Supper, the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, recount the institution of the Eucharist, which was preceded by the healing and the feeding of thousands. And while the Gospel of John relates as a way of bringing out its profound meaning, he also talks about the account of the washing of the feet, right, in which Jesus appears as the teacher of communion and what? And service. The Apostle Paul, for his part, says that it's unworthy of a Christian community to partake of the Lord's Supper amid division, amid indifference toward the poor, or in any unworthy manner. He said this, let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. He said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In other words, go to confession first. You're uniting yourself actually with Jesus Christ. Would we profane Jesus's body and, and partake with sin on us? No, we have to get cleaned up first, right? We take that nuptial bath. Look at the picture of the divine image uh, from uh, Sister Faustina, where blood and water came out of Jesus' heart when he got hit by the lance on the cross. The water is baptismal blood and confessional blood, the nuptial bath. And why do we take the nuptial bath? Because we're getting ready for the marriage, for the wedding feast. This is Jesus poured out to us in the Eucharist, right? And so I'm going to go to the Last Supper, but before I do, I just want to read just a little bit uh, from John 6. Now, John 6 is Jesus' teaching about the Eucharist about a year ahead of time, a year before that Last Supper I'm going to get to. And so you just heard that there was the feeding of the 5,000 right before that. And now they want to make him king, so Jesus withdraws and, and, and goes away from them. He doesn't want earthly power. This is eternal power. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now listen to this. Again, this is John 6, around uh, verse 32. Listen how Jesus answers them. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Oh, my gosh, this is the Eucharist. He will give you this bread always, all through history. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Well, then he taught to them about the Eucharist and how he must eat the Eucharist, how he must eat his body. Then the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Now, look, at this is, not, this is not an easy teaching, is it? You know, this is the mystery of God himself. This is the mystery you must enter into. But I'll tell you what, never before has this been clear to me between, be, be, between what good and evil is. 
I mean, you know, you could look back at the Holocaust and you could see Hitler and you could see Stalin and what they've done. But in my generation here in the United States, this evil, this madness with these transgender ideologies, what they're doing to our young people and, and how they're twisting and distorting and the pedophilia, the amount of child porn and child sex trafficking, you see them attacking children and allow and people allowing this and you just see this right and now you see that what happens when god is taking out when we no longer go and receive the eucharist when we no longer partake about this when we no longer cross the bridge and then open that bridge and proclaim the gospel to those that are left here in this temporal space so that they have eternal life this is what jesus came to do to build the bridge to eternal life but you have to say yes he made this collective for us this redemption is collective to take away sin and death but we have to say yes so the jesus, the jews murmured again but jesus said to them i have come down from heaven he said do not murmur among yourselves no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up on the, on, on the last day truly truly i say to you he who believes has eternal life i am the bread of life your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. And of course, you know, they don't know. The Jews don't know. I mean, this is a hard teaching. We know this, right? So the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them again, and he says, truly, truly, he says that he repeats that. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He repeats himself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, So he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. This is a hard saying, they said, but this is the truth. And when when the disciples got up and walked away, what did he do? He let them go. He didn't chase them. He let them go. He turned toward Peter and the other uh, apostles, and he said, will you too leave? And remember, Peter stood up and said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life, right? Then, sometime later, huh? at the Last Supper, on a night when he was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. He did this in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the centuries for you and me until he should come again. And so to entrust to his beloved spouse, the church, a memorial of his death and resurrection, a sacrament of love, a sign of unity, a bond of charity, a paschal banquet in which Christ is eaten, the mind is filled with grace, and a pledge of future glory is given to us. This sacrifice is so decisive for the salvation of the human race that Jesus Christ offered it and returned to the Father only after he had left us a means of sharing in it as if we had been present there at that moment when he gave up his body. What more, John Paul II said, could Jesus have done for us? Truly in the Eucharist, he said, he shows us a love which goes to the end, as he said in John 13, a love which shows no 
measure, a love which knows no measure. In instituting the Eucharist, he did not merely say, this is my body, this is my blood, but went on to add, which is given for you, which is poured out for you in Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. Jesus did not simply state that what he was giving them to eat and drink was his body and blood. He also expressed its sacrificial meaning and made sacramentally present his sacrifice, which would soon be offered on the cross for the salvation of all. John Paul II, and this is also in the in our catechism of uh, the Catholic Church, says the Mass is at the same time and inseparably the sacrificial memorial in which the sacrifice of that cross is perpetuated and the sacred, the sacred banquet of communion with the Lord's body and blood is brought through. That's the bridge. The bridge is that body and blood of Jesus Christ. The cross is perpetuated all through time, that sacred banquet of communion with the Lord's body and blood, that one-time eternal event. And, 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 and we, can, we walk up, we walk up to the priests or the deacons, Eucharistic ministers, they say, this is my body given for you, and you say amen, and you take that into yourself. This is why we have to go to confession first and be filled with grace. St. John Chrysostom put it well. He said, we always offer the same lamb, not one today, another tomorrow, but always the same one. For this reason, the sacrifice is always only one. Even now we offer that same victim, Jesus Christ, who was once offered and who will never be consumed. The Mass makes present the sacrifice of that cross. It does not add to that sacrifice, nor does it multiply it. The Church draws her life from the Eucharistic sacrifice there. That's what the Church is about. That is the source and summit of our Christian life. For the Most Holy Eucharist contains the Church's entire spiritual wealth. Christ himself, our Passover and living bread. Through his own flesh, now made living and life-giving by the Holy Spirit, he offers that to men and women for all time. Why would he do this? And why do our hearts burn within us? For love. For love. Jesus said to them, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. From John 15, verse 13. This is Jesus giving his life for all of us. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being with me. Maybe I'll make one last comment here. Uh, I will put this out in a newsletter form, uh, the transcript of this. If anybody wants that, make sure you sign up for our newsletter. If you haven't already, uh, you'll have a chance in the show notes there, and you, you'll have a few days at least uh, before uh, we launch this uh, in, in newsletter form. So God bless you. And, and please share this uh, podcast and share the newsletter when you receive it. Hey, God bless you. Talk to you soon, everybody. Mm-hmm.